0: Now, this morning's scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, as well as chapter 11, verse 1. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I grew up just outside of Detroit, Michigan, and I have fond and clear memories of traipsing through snow as a child that was up to my knees. Now, I'm short as a child, and so uh, that might not have been that deep, but I, but I can remember walking through the snow, and at times I would follow in very literally my dad's footsteps. Uh, I would step in. Part of that was functional, right? Like I, I just didn't, I wasn't able to walk through the snow otherwise, but, but most of it was that like most little boys, I admired my dad. I wanted to walk in his very steps. Um, and, and why that matters is because I admired him and so I wanted to be like him. That's because all imitation follows admiration. All imitation follows admiration. And and imitation kind of gets a bad rap in our culture. Um, And that's because to us, the word imitation sounds like fake. And and I get it, right? I mean, think about imitation crab, for instance, uh, or imitation leather, which we affectionately call pleather, uh, or or try to propose with an imitation diamond, right? Imitation sounds like inauthentic. And to us, in an age of authenticity, uh, that's a cardinal sin, but I want you to hear me that imitation, uh, the fact that you imitate is not the problem. It's who you imitate. So, so I moved from Michigan to Florida in high school. And when I moved to Florida, uh, I kind of got to reinvent myself, my image, whatever I wanted to be. And, and so uh, I wanted to be a surfer. So I like grew my hair out. I bought like rip curl shirts and wore flip-flops everywhere and watched Kelly Slater videos. And like, I just, I wanted to be a surfer. Fast forward a little bit, early college, I was on a boxing team, and and this was the time when Floyd Money Mayweather was pound for pound the best fighter in the world, and so I'd watch his fight videos, and I would just want to be like him. Um, I'm not proud to say this, but admittedly, I actually had a haircut where I had a lightning bolt shaved into the side of my head uh, because I wanted to be this boxer image um, some of you are like, listen, man, I would take the lightning bolt. I need a haircut that bad right now. Uh, and and so, so then I became a follower of Jesus and my whole kind of, I had a whole new group of models to imitate. Um, sometimes I would be public speaking and my arms would flail about to the glory of God like a certain preacher would. Uh, other times I would be counseling and consoling and uh, I can remember this one time when my sister had just gone through a breakup and so I was trying to comfort and console her and, and at one point uh, my wife was there as well uh, they paused me and they're like why are you doing that I'm like doing what they're like you're mimicking pastor Aaron we were part of the same church at the time you're acting just like Aaron acts and they were right uh, unconsciously I was mimicking the mannerisms of Aaron because I'd seen him console people before Here's the problem, Uh, it's not that we imitate, it's who or what we imitate. Because the reality is is that our imitation follows whatever we admire, either for weal or for woe. Um, G.K. Beale, uh, a New Testament scholar puts it this way, we resemble what we revere either for ruin or for restoration. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna kind of recover and reclaim a biblical vision of imitation. And that's because imitation is at the heart of the human vocation. And so we're going to look at our text today. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one, get it out. We're in 1 Corinthians 4. And as we look at our text today, we're going to see the reflection of imitation, the ruin of imitation, and finally the restoration of imitation. Again, the reflection, the ruin, and the restoration of imitation. Now, if I were to ask you, um, what is it do you think is the one thing that the Apostle Paul explicitly says that he teaches everywhere and in every church? What would your answer be? You, You might say something like, probably the cross of Christ, or maybe his resurrection, or the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you wouldn't be wrong. Those are all true things. Like New City, I'm sure that the Apostle Paul immersed all of his churches in the good news of Jesus. But, but the only thing that he explicitly says that he teaches everywhere and in every church is found in our text this morning. And so if you would, look with me at 1 Corinthians 4 real quick. Verse 16 says this, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, here it is, as I teach them everywhere and in every church. So what is Paul's one thing? It's mimic my Christ-like way of life. Mimic my Christ-like way of life. Or as he says in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is, this is Paul's task. This is his job, is to, to become like Jesus in all of life and then to give that life away. To multiply his life into others was the marrow of Paul's ministry. And we see it here in 1 Corinthians 4. When Jesus says, follow me, that's the same thing as what Paul means when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But neither of them were being innovative. They were just, uh, when they were saying imitate me or follow me, they were just appealing to the core of what it means to be human. Um, One scholar, Jason Hood, says it like this, imitation starts with God who went digging in the mud to make a mirror. Of course, he's appealing to uh, the creation of Adam out of dust in Genesis 2. God went digging in the mud to make a mirror. And, and this is because what God did when he made human beings is he, he put imitation at the heart of the human vocation to bear his image in the world. And so consider Adam and Eve, um, their initial tasks, their initial calling was to Imitate God in the way that they were uh, ruling and subduing, in the way that they worked and rested, in the way that they were naming the animals and making judgments and evaluations about the world. And, and they did all of this by speaking, which was a very God-like thing. Imitation is the heart of human vocation. And and this isn't just true biblically. Uh, Even modern science is beginning to discover some of these things. Um, Some neuroscientists uh, would appeal to what are called mirror neurons. Um, And what mirror neurons are is they're this part of your brain uh, that's responsible for the fact that if you were to watch me hammering a nail and I were to miss the nail and hit my thumb, you might wince in pain just watching me do that. Because mirror neurons are are the basis of imitation for us. Um, it's, it's likely that mirror neurons are why we have empathy. It's why we are able to interact socially. It's maybe even the cause of the contagiousness of yawns. And so mirror neurons say that we are hardwired to imitate. I don't think this is accidental. I think our creator, God created us. He made us to mimic our maker. And so imitation is at the heart of the human vocation. Um, Some of these same scientists continued to study imitation, and then they began to see that there's a a, a really tight linkage between imitation and admiration, that these instincts are actually biologically linked together with one another. And and so why this is important is because um, it means that you're, uh, as, as one psychologist Jonathan Haidt put it, you are wired to be inspired. In other words, you were made to look out at the world to see uh, excellence in action and then to want to be like that. And it makes sense, right? Uh, It makes sense that God, our creator, would make us to watch his excellence in action and then to act on our awe by becoming more and more like him, by imitating him and others that are like him. And so you were hardwired, you were made to mimic your maker, Another way of putting that is that imitation is at the heart of human vocation. But this psychology of imitation is actually really helpful in giving us a picture of what went wrong. And in, in what went wrong? Because the reality is, is that we admire God too little uh, and we are far too easily awed by other things. Isn't this true? Um, when I used to teach our communicants class here, which is when we take typically fourth and fifth graders and we teach them about the Lord's Supper and communion and what it means and how to partake in it, and um, I, I would often take a mirror and, and I would talk to them about the image of God, how we reflect God into the world like a mirror. And then I would take a hammer and I would just smash the mirror right in front of them. It was awesome. I know, you know, there's like 20 years of bad luck in that or something like that, but I'm not, I'm not superstitious. Um, I'm just a little stitious. And, and so I would smash this mirror to show that we really are like broken mirrors. We've ruined the reflection of God. And so the ruin of imitation, I want to look at this briefly. You know, we've got this saying that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? Um, and I would say, sure, but, but really imitation is the sincerest form of admiration, And why that matters is because you can can pretty quickly find out what your God is by what gets you most excited. What is it that earns your sincerest admiration? And and so this is significant because, because our admirer is damaged, when God looks into the mirror of our lives, what he sees reflected back to him is not his own face. Often it's either a distorted kind of funhouse mirror image of his face, or it's the reflection of a false god because of the ruin of imitation. And so this is, this is significant because if, if you were to look at your life, ask yourself, who do you see? Who do you see as you look into the mirror of your own life? Oftentimes we look at ourselves in the mirror and we, we kind of pendulum swing between being awed by ourselves and thinking ourselves awful, right? We just swing back and forth. So then we look outside of ourselves and we look at influencers uh, and we admire them for their popularity rather than admiring heroes for their character. See, our admirer is broken, it's damaged. This is the ruin of imitation there was a study done, um, the same study about admiration and imitation. And, and what they did was they had three groups of people. And in the first group, they showed them clips of a documentary of Mother Teresa. And the second group, one of the control groups, they showed them clips of uh, another documentary that was interesting, but not particularly emotionally charged. And and then they showed them, the third control group saw clips of America's Funniest Home Videos. And, and then they studied uh, the effects that these watching these videos had on each of these groups. And and I'm going to quote right from the study. It says this, the participants who watched Mother Teresa reported feeling more loving and inspired. They were more strongly wanted to help and to affiliate with others. And they were more likely to actually volunteer to work at a humanitarian charity organization afterwards. You see, imitation is this pull to see others and to do what they do. And so this matters because you have to ask yourself, who or what am I watching? Like, is it just what's trending on Netflix? Because it's, it's important to know that what you're consuming could be consuming you. Because imitation, uh, is, is hardwired into who we are. What we see has a pull on us to become like it. And so to, to quote Dr. Beale again, we, resemble what we revere either for ruin or for restoration. And so uh, an author named James Clear says it this way. He says, humans are imitation machines. We mostly learn what to do by copying those around us. And he says that we, in general, we kind of imitate the habits of three different groups. There's the close, which are what are our friends and family doing? There's the many, which is what is the crowd doing? And there 's the powerful, what are those with status doing? You see for us, for new city there 's a real temptation to uh, to imitate, to be uh, admirers, to mimic the popular and the powerful and this wasn't this isn 't unique to us in fact it 's the very issue that Paul is dealing with here in Corinth. The Corinthians admired the popular and the powerful, which is why they were tempted to dismiss Paul, who was neither popular nor powerful, and in fact, seemed to be purposefully trying to be weak and meek. And they despised him for it. And so Paul, somewhat sarcastically, uh, right before our text in 1 Corinthians 16, says this in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, 10 through 13. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Paul is challenging the Corinthians. He's challenging them because like us, they admired the popular and the powerful and and, and really looked to whatever was trending to figure out what they would imitate. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Imitate my ways in Christ, which are always trending downward before they trend upwards. Humiliation comes before exaltation. Weakness is the path to power. They didn't like that. um, And neither do we. And so Paul knew that imitation follows admiration. So how do we change what we admire? Like, how is this not just some kind of moralistic call to be better, to do better? In fact, some of us still bear the scars from wounding words like, why can't you be more like your brother? And so what do we do with this? Uh, the reality is, is when we get into this game of comparison uh, and, and even imitation, sometimes we either get um, kind of puffed up with pride because we succeed or we get devastated and, and crestfallen because we fail. So how does Paul escape these pitfalls of imitation? Well, as usual, the good news is in Paul's prepositions. Let's look again at 1 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child, here it is, in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. You see, this is the restoration of imitation. Right here, the the call to be like Christ comes after the call to be in Christ. That's important. You see, Jesus is the mirror of God with no cracks and no flaws. Um, Jesus in John 5 said this, I only do what I see the Father doing. It's imitation language. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus is the perfection of reflection. He perfectly imitated his Father in all of life. But this is really important Jesus must be your savior before he can be your example. Another way of putting that is we must belong to Jesus before we can become like Jesus. Um, Recently in February, I had the opportunity to uh, speak at a middle school youth conference. And while I was there, I met a student who was a spitting image of her father, who happened to be a friend of mine. And immediately I knew who she was because I could tell whose she was. Um, to become like Jesus before you belong to Jesus would be like asking somebody, hey, how come you don't bear the resemblance of a totally other family? We must belong before we can become. This is the core of what it means to imitate Christ. Um, Another way of putting this is that we uh, we have to see ourselves as being in Christ before we can become like Christ, but our becoming like Christ really does happen over time. Um, so we're not talking about just living up to Christ's example, but we're really talking about living out of Christ's saving work. Um, in Jesus' cross and in His resurrection, He opened up a way for us to be in Him by faith. And so, as we trust Christ, we are united to Him. We are in Him by the Holy Spirit, and and this really matters because because we are in Christ, who he, who He is, we will be. That's our confidence. That's our assurance. So assured of our place in Christ, this imperative to imitate, it doesn't feel like a threat or a condition anymore. In fact, this imperative to imitate is rather like an echo. Uh, we, we kind of echo back the love of Christ because it first reverberates in our own hearts. And so imitation um, is not about earning. You see, it's only when we see Christ's undying love for us in his death well, we begin to really admire him. And so as we rest in Jesus, as we relish his goodness and his mercy and his kindness for us and towards us, we will begin to admire him more and more. And as we admire him, we will imitate him because imitation flows from intimacy. And so it's out of this intimacy uh, that, we, that we actually are the church. And so as, as we close, I want to talk about this. What does imitation look like? Kind of boots on the ground. My, my principle here, my statement is that, that imitation is restored in Jesus, but it's reproduced in the church. Um, and so here and now, us, we are supposed to be a, the church is a community of holy mimicry. Um, and, and that's not, uh, that does means that the church is not a, a group of copycats, but of little Christs. The church is not about uniformity, but about cruciformity. And, and so even our, the, uh, the author of this text, the one, Apostle Paul, who can say, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ, had to learn the ways of Christ by looking at other disciples of Jesus. Real quick, um, in his last letter, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he tells him that everybody has abandoned and deserted him. That's pretty tragic. Your dying letter, literally everybody leaves you. And, and yet Paul says this, may it not be charged against them. Where did Paul learn to forgive like this? Well, if you remember in Acts 7, uh, we, we see the martyr of a man named Stephen. And, and as Stephen is being killed, as he's being murdered, Paul is there kind of high-fiving the murderers. And Stephen, as he dies, he cries out and he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And I think as Paul saw this, as he watched it happening, I think it moved him. Um, St. Augustine says, we owe Paul's conversion to Stephen's prayer. And so as Stephen dies like this, we have to ask, where did he learn to forgive like that? Well, if you know the gospel accounts, you know that as Jesus was hanging on the cross and dying, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so from Jesus to Stephen to Paul to Timothy to today, this unbroken chain of imitation is the church. And so imitation is restored in Jesus and it's reproduced in the church. As we close, I want to tell you uh, a brief story. A professor of mine, when he was in college, he started a a Bible study for not yet believers in Jesus, and and he was kind of a young Christian and really didn't know how to articulate his faith super well, uh, and so very quickly he was outnumbered and overwhelmed with questions and concerns and critiques, and so this professor of mine at the time, he was in college, he had a kind of a mentor himself named Dave. And Dave was a little bit of an older student. He was really bold and direct, but he was smart and he loved Jesus. And so this professor would take these students uh, to Dave and he'd basically be like, all right, here's a question I don't know how to answer. Dave, get him." And so one time he tells this story about how he took this student to Dave and, and Dave looked at him. He said, what do you want? And the student basically said, listen, I come, I come from a home that you would probably call uh, liberal. In other words, um, you know, we didn't really believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus or that he's God in human flesh. I mean, come on. Uh, but we were generally good people. Like my parents loved, my sister and I, uh, we worshiped God. We did good stuff for the community. And so he asked him, he said, what do you think that you have that we didn't have? And in telling the story, my professor said, um, it, was as though, it was as though Dave looked at him for like two or three minutes. And finally, Dave just said to him, watch me. Watch me. And the student was like, I beg your pardon? And, and this is what Dave said. He said, watch me. I've got an extra bed. Move in with me. Be my guest. I'll pay for your food. You go to your classes, do whatever you have to do, but watch me. You watch me when I get up, when I interact with people, what I say, what moves me, what I live for, what I want in life. You watch me for the rest of the semester, and then you tell me at the end of it whether or not there's a difference. This student didn't move in with Dave, but he did begin meeting with him and watching his life, and to this day, this student was, was drawn to Jesus by the Holy Spirit and is now working as a medical missionary. You see, we at New City, we need men and women with enough humble boldness to look other people in the face and say, watch me. Like, watch me resolve conflict. Watch me as I pray for my neighbor, neighbors, as I discipline my children, like Jesus. Watch me deal with difficult emotions, lead others, cultivate sexual integrity like Jesus. Watch me model singleness as a vocation like Jesus. Watch me be a father and husband, a mother and a wife like Jesus. Watch me suffer well. Watch me love well. Watch me die well like Jesus. When we can have people with, as I said, enough humble boldness to say, watch me, New City will become a community of holy mimicry. And then belonging to Christ and becoming like Christ, we'll be able to say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you've sent us your son, Jesus, to give us the clearest picture, the clearest portrait of your your love. And so I pray that we would belong to Jesus, that we might become like Jesus. Holy Spirit, draw us to Jesus in Trust in admiration and in imitation this morning. We pray these things. We know, we trust that you incline your ear towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.